This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, a radio show and podcast taking a look at the quirkier people, groups and interests in the region. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Last December, I paid a visit to Andrew Johnstone, a dairy farmer at Hotapu near Cambridge. You can find the podcast of that WTS episode on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify or any good podcasting platforms. Having enjoyed our conversation so much last time, I decided to call Andrew on video chat for WTS Lockdown Edition to see how he's doing on the farm, as well as his pet cows, Maggie and Tilly. Well, it makes no difference at all, really, because I'm a farmer and I'm, I'm working on my own, so life just carries on as per normal. I just can't go and, if, if a trough breaks and I need a part or something, I just can't go into town and get it. That's the only difference. But Fortunately, I'm well stocked up. And of course, I live next door to my parents who are quite elderly, so they need somebody to do their shopping. So I guess I guess the, the only difference between now and normal life is that I have to stand in supermarket lines for an inordinate amounts of time shopping for my parents and my wife who lives in the house on the other side of me as well. So uh, I'm the designated shopper for the bubble. Right. So do you go into Cambridge for that? Yeah, yeah. And it uh, because I'm shopping for me, Jane, and mum and dad, um, that's uh, three different supermarkets and three different lines. And then, and then we've got the pharmacy on top of that. I feel like when you're going into Cambridge after you've spent, I mean, normally you're spending a lot of time on the farm and only going into Cambridge every now and then, I would imagine. But now when you go into Cambridge, um, it must be quite starkly different. Oh, it's, it's well, it's actually quite nice to see all the empty streets. I mean, I'm, I'm used to the very, very quiet life now, and I hardly ever see anybody anytime. And um, going into town can be a shock to the senses sometimes because there's cars everywhere and people everywhere, and you've sort of got to get into this different kind of headspace. But uh, now it's, it's it's rather wonderful. It's just nice and quiet and peaceful, and I really enjoy that. Um, it's, it's not the same as last lockdown, though, the last two lockdowns, because normally we're we're um, the farm is bounded by roads on three sides, including the very, very busy state highway one B. And normally it's just wall to wall traffic noise. I mean, that's all you can hear. Even we're 70 hectares here, even right at the furthest point from the road, which is um, a good kilometer. All you can hear is road noise. And um, the last two lockdowns, it's just been, this magnificent sense of, of peace and harmony because there's been no traffic on the road. But this time it's kind of different. It's actually very busy. Um, uh, we, uh, we can get, move on to this subject if you like, but I'll just touch on it here. There, um, a filmmaker's been making a film here on the farm and he didn't anticipate the traffic noise. Um, so he's in the editing process of the film at the moment and he keeps on sending me message, uh, messages. Can you go out with your recording device 
<laughs> and uh, just get me some some sounds from here and some sounds from here I can overdub because because there's too many cars in the background. And I've been going out on the farm and it's been really, really, really hard to find that one minute of silence with no cars in the background. In fact, one of the one of the difficulties that, that I didn't realize that even though there's less traffic on the road, when there is a car, the sound is amplified mm. and it just goes forever. You can hear it coming. So yesterday I actually timed it. He wanted some bird song and I was waiting for the cars to pass. And this was very early in the morning, like about six in the morning. And you'd hear a car in the way, way distance and it would build up, build up, build up, pass by, go away, go away, go away, go away, go away, go away. And you're thinking, ah, perfect. Just about to press the record. A car coming from the other direction. <laughs> Just really background building up. It goes on like that all the time. Um, so, yeah, this, this, but the whole feeling of this lockdown has been a bit different. Um, we, we seem to be, New Zealand seems to be determined. We, we, we seem to t- still determined as a, as a society to eliminate COVID. And we, we seem to see it like an All Blacks match. And we, you know, that the All Blacks are down five points and there's two minutes to go. And, and even though the odds are against us, we seem completely unified in our quest to, we're going to beat this bastard no matter what. And, and I have a feeling that we might just do that. Oh, look, I can't, I can't even look at the news, Radio New Zealand or stuff, which are my usual local news outlets. I can't even look at them because I'm just sick to death of hearing uninformed opinions. I'm hearing contrary opinions. I'm hearing... Um, uh, all the stuff about what we should be doing and what the government should be doing and what they should have done. And it's like, oh, I, I, I really, yeah, I really trust the government. I think they've just done a brilliant job um, that we've gotten so far without too much trouble has just been amazing. Um, and I'm just finding it really, really hard to deal with, with uh, the media at the moment. Um, I find that I'm finding it very negative and, and I think that, all in all, the, the COVID experience in New Zealand has been a positive one and it's been a unifying factor. And um, it's just shown us the wonderful strength of community that we have as a country and, and how people, unlike just about anywhere else in the world, people seem to be almost completely unified in, in, in their cause. And it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderfully liberating experience. And I, and I feel so proud of, of my country. And of course, we've got our lunatics. I mean, our Billy Tikahikas and now Vinnie Eastwoods. But it's funny when they, you know, they were expecting probably huge crowds when they called their anti-lockdown protests, like in America and Australia and Britain, you know, five or six people turn up and then the police and then all of a sudden they're, they're suddenly uh, changing their tune and saying, oh, they didn't mean for this and all the rest of it. And I'm thinking, you silly buggers. <laughs> And yeah. I think the whole country feels the same way about them, you know. Backtracking a little bit to um, what you were talking about before about the filmmaker. Um, tell us about the work um, he's been doing at the farm. Well, I can't, I can't really say too much at the moment because um, he's, uh, he's, in a, he's an interesting stage at the film at the moment. He's made the film and he's actually made a whole rough cut of the film, um, which he's, cha- you know, he's, he's, he's edited it all together into a rough cut. Um, now he's out looking for funding, the funding he needs for the, the post-production work. Um, 
So he, he doesn't really want me saying too much about it. But basically, he was following, he's a, he's a, he's a very, very well-known filmmaker. His name is Costa Botes. And he, uh, has, he's made, I think he's made 15 films. And his great masterpiece uh, comes from the 1990s. It's a film called Forgotten Silver. Do you, do you recall that film? Um, I haven't seen that personally. He wrote it with Peter Jackson and directed it with Peter Jackson. And oh, it, was yeah. a, it was a documentary film with the quotation marks. It was actually, they'd made it all up. It was a story about a pioneering New Zealand filmmaker called Colin McKenzie. And it was broadcast, this is in the 1990s, of course, when, when uh, broadcasting tele- broadcast TV was still the, the centre of the universe. And, of course, everybody saw this documentary on the Sunday night in TV One. And everybody thought it was real. Of course, the next day they announced that, well, actually, we just made this up. And the furore went on for weeks, you know, about how they duped the whole country. Um, after that, Costa went on to make uh, uh, the, the, the official documentary for the Lord of the Rings films. So he filmed that in tandem um, with Peter while they were making that, while Peter was making the Lord of the Rings. And Costa said it was just a, a sort of a three-week assignment and then halfway through it, the studio announced that we're going to make three movies at once. And he said, this quick assignment turned into this all-consuming thing that lasted for years and years. And he felt like it was never going to end. But he did that. And, of course, that films him with the DVD box sets. But he's a, he's a Facebook friend of mine. I, was sort of, I sort of barely knew. And, and he'd been following my posts for the last few years about cows and, and the work I'd been doing with cows. And he just messaged me one day out of the blue and said, look, I think there's a film here. And he said, I'd, I'd like to make a film about your cows. And uh, he came and he started making his film. And then he announces to me, actually, you're pretty interesting as well. So this is not going to be a film about your cows. It's, it's going to be a film about you and your cows, um, which I balked at slightly. I didn't tell him that. I just went along for the ride. But I thought, uh, me? Um I'm not really that interesting and I don't really have that much going on, but uh, um, he went ahead and did it. Uh, he sent us all, me and all everybody else who participated in the film, he sent us all a rough copy of the, of the film that he's shopping around for funding. And um, I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it, to be honest. Um, uh, but quite a few people have already seen it and they've reported back and said, it's just absolutely brilliant film and really, really enjoyed it. And uh I'll take their word for it. But I'm really not, as I said to Costa, I'm really not at the stage at the moment where I'm too close to the project. I don't really want to be looking at myself just quite yet. Maybe in a year's time, I'll, I'll be over it and I'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. If we all haven't died from COVID in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, where, this is where COVID comes in as well too, because Costa was due to arrive. We were going to have a, a private screening at the Tivoli in Cambridge, which is the local um, art house cinema. And he was going to uh, just get some finishing shots and some more interviews with me. Um, uh, he just some other things he needed to add to the film. And, uh, and of course he was due to arrive the day we went into lockdown. So that put the kibosh on that. So um, um, he's been relying on me to um, not only film sequences, he's been teaching me because he's at, not only an accomplished filmmaker, he teaches it, teaches filmmaking at Massey University, and uh, he uh, he's been relying on me to, to film footage and to interview myself, 
and to collect sound effects and all kinds of bits and pieces. So uh, that's kept me fairly busy during lockdown as well. On top of the farm work, I've been rushing around doing all this film work. And I've been doing filming for him now for, it must be a year. Um, I've got all this gear here that he's provided and I've been learning how to film properly. Um, yeah, it's, it's gone to the stage now where I can't even turn on the video on my phone camera because it, I start to get anxious and start to, my heart starts to beat fast because you've got to get it perfectly to the specifications, you know, and it's got to be done technically correctly so that, that it can be transferred to the big screen. And um, it's actually been, well, it's been a big learning curve, but it's actually also been extremely hard work as well. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a fastidious business, but you know, I get his point. Everything has to, you know, you, everything has to be done in a very specific way, so that, you know, it, we can we can take our. It's, what astonishes me is we can take our smartphones, we can um, use the camera because we just download an app off the internet uh, that allows that actually improves the the ability of the camera to taking um, 4K images. And they can actually be blown up and used in a film, you know, in a cinematic film. And uh, that amazes me um, uh, that my, my, my humble phone camera is capable of such wonderful work. You know, when we, when we had our last interview as part of WTS Waikato, um, uh, we spoke about your two cows um, out of the herd, which you have purchased yourself. Do you want to give us a, an update on how that's going? Well, since we did that interview, Maggie and Tilly. So Tilly was the, when I moved onto this farm, um, Tilly was in the, in the mob that was already here. And she was a very, very, very friendly, outgoing cow. Just walked up to me straight away, no introduction, and made herself known to me. And um, I'd just come away from a farm. It wasn't, um, uh, and I'd had similar friendly pet cows on, on that farm as well that I'd all sent to slaughter. And, of course, I'd felt terrible about that. You know, you, 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 you form this relationship with this, with this creature who's not that far removed from you genetically. It's, you know, you can relate to each other emotionally. And, um, and I always felt terrible about that. And, I, and when I met Tilly, I thought, ah, not this time. Um, this farm's a slightly different situation. I, I can actually, I'm actually... Uh, uh, much more invested in the ownership of the property and um, I can do things like keep cows if I want to. So I decided to keep Tilly and I, I, I purchased her from the stock agent and uh, and then I realized she needed a mate. So I picked, uh, I, I picked uh, just a random pick. It was uh, I, um, uh, Maggie. We end up calling her Maggie. And uh, the girls have been going great guns. So not long so I purchased them both and I, I set them aside from the main herd and they went off to slaughter. And then we got a whole new herd in at the beginning of autumn and that was 200 calves, um, at black-faced Angus calves. And black-faced Angus have a reputation for being, well, formidable cattle to deal with and they are extremely difficult to deal with. Um, and my first few days, I really struggled with them. And I was talking to the stock agent. And he said, well, why don't you put your pet cows in with them? He said, they'll calm them down straight away. I thought, oh, okay, I'll do that. 
And they did instantly. The, the calves all fell in behind my two cows. And um, we had six months, six wonderful months after that with Maggie and Tilly teaching them how to exist and function on this farm. And they did a wonderful job. Uh, the cows all went a couple of weeks ago um, simply because this farm here is part of the Fonterra wastewater disposal system. So um, in July, when uh, the farmers start calving their cows and milk production starts just at the local dairy factory up the road here, they need somewhere to put all the wastewater and that's our farm. So our big sprinkler systems start working and we can't graze cattle on irrigated land. Um, uh, this is too much nutrient load. So we've got to take the cattle off then. And, and I just keep a few, I keep 40 or so cows um, through the irrigation system just to graze the pastures that aren't irrigated. So uh, the cows all went a couple of weeks ago and now it's just down to a very, very small mob of hand-chosen cows. All the friendly cows from the big herd, I've kept them all and kept them with Maggie and Tilly. Now there's two in there, um, a Charolais, a Charolais of sort of a white fawnish coloured French cow, beef cow, and there's a, a Hereford cow, and I call the little Hereford Fozzie because she looks like Fozzie Bear from um, the Muppets. And I've kept uh, the Charolais, number 10, uh, who I call Charlie, um, because they're just both such personable and intelligent and uh, very friendly girls. And I'm debating at the moment. I'm thinking, well, can I afford to buy them and make have this little herd of four with Maggie and Tilly and these two others? You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, I can't save them all because I've got years of this ahead of me. And every year is going to be a new herd and every year is going to be a new friendly cow. And I'm thinking, gosh, before I know it, I'll end up with more friendly cows than paying cows. So I've got to be careful. I've got to be pragmatic in my thinking. But I'm thinking about it. And I've got, I've got these cows are going to be with me till the autumn. So I've got plenty of time to, to make those considerations. But I've got to say, after running this huge mob of terrifying black-faced Angus calves for... Um, <laughs> six months. It's wonderful just to have a nice little herd of friendly cows. Um, they're no work at all. In fact, they're a real pleasure. And I'm just enjoying uh, interacting with them and feeding them and um, and just, just taking care of their needs for them. So how many cows is that you've got at the moment? 40, which, which, is, which is a very small group, yeah. Yeah. And um, do you want to recap for us from last time how much it costs per cow to actually buy them? Maggie and Tilly cost me $2,000 each. So that was about, oh, plus GST. So that was, what, two, $2,200 each. Uh, since then, uh, Australia and China have fallen out. So China's not taking so much beef from Australia anymore. Uh, they've focused their sights on New Zealand beef and... Um, the schedule, that's the price per kilo for beef, has gone through the roof. So I would presume if I purchased if I purchased Fozzie or Charlie, we're probably talking $2,500 before GST. So um, that might be out of my financial reach, unfortunately, mm. thanks to China, which is both a good thing, good thing for the country, a bad thing for those of us who have got a little bit of a weakness for friendly cows. You, um, you are a vegetarian, aren't you? 
Well, I was. I, I was. I was. I turned vegetarian when I was fifteen, and then in my forties to my fifties, I went vegan. Then my wife uh, went to the doctors. Oh, this is about a year ago. She went to the doctors, and 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 she she's also a vegan as well. And um, he said, "Look, you've got osteoporosis." you need more B12, you need more calcium, you need more of this and you need more of that. He says, I recommend that you actually add some kind of flesh to your diet, like fish. And she got a bit of a fright when she heard all this and she decided to do that. And I thought, well, I'll, 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 uh, I'll go out in sympathy with her and support her and I'll, I'll start eating fish as well. Oh my God, what a difference that's made to everything. Um, uh, uh, I can't speak for her, but I, I feel like a completely different person. I feel uh, so much better physically and mentally. Um, so yes, no, the the veganism vegetarian thing. Well, that's you know, while that's still the principal foundation for my diet, um, I eat fish on most days now, and um, uh, I guess all the extra nutrients and the and the B twelve in particular has just made a big difference. So yeah, my days of vegan vegetarianism uh, are over really. You still don't eat beef? No, 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 no meat or no, no um, chicken or beef or pork or anything like that. Um, one, it doesn't interest me. Um, that's one of the reasons I stopped eating meat because I, I never had an appetite for it anyway. And I would look at mum would, mum, mum is a fantastic cook. I mean, we had wonderful food, but I'd always push the meat to the side I, or pick it out. I, I just had no taste for it. And I, I couldn't really explain that. I mean, it's just, just, a, just a thing. And, and I had to really, that turned into an ideology after a while. I, I looked for reasons why I didn't like meat. And, and I thought, well, animal compassion is a good enough reason for me. So I sort of used that as the ground I stood on. But then when I started farming beef, what, six or seven years ago now, I just, just, I needed a job. Um, I was like you, I was a journalist and things had gone south and I needed some work and I got a job um, running a small block and uh, it came with cows and I suddenly realised I had this wonderful, you know, ability to get on with cows. You know, I could really relate to them and understand how they thought and felt and um, and then I realised, well, you know, I can't, I can't claim to be this animal loving compassionate person anymore if i'm raising beef to send off to the slaughterhouse so i had to rethink my values and i had to become a little bit more pragmatic and less ideological about things and uh, that's done me the world of good as well and now you're still going out and saying good morning to tilly and maggie every day well they're actually right in the paddock right around my house this morning so um uh, they've been standing uh, i've got windows all around and um they've been standing out in the paddock staring at me for the last six hours or so. I moved them in very, very early this morning and uh, they're just waiting for me to bring them out treats. And they think if they're going to stare at me, um, it's going to mesmerize me and I'll walk out with treats. But uh, to be honest with you, I've, I've cleaned out everything, all the biscuits, all the apples, all the butter, all the cheese, all the spare bread, everything's gone. And, 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 and I didn't get paid till Wednesday. I'm out of money. So they're going to have to, uh, they're just going to have to bear with me until I get paid and I'll go out and do some shopping. They love Arnott's biscuits. So I buy them, which is kind of interesting because I've bought them Griffin's biscuits when they've been on special and they won't have a bar of them. 
Right. <laughs> but I buy the Marnitz biscuits and they'll eat them, they'll eat them till the cows come home. So uh God knows what Mr. Griffins is doing to his biscuits, but uh, no, my cows don't like them at all. Uh, you know those bags we have in, you buy in the supermarket, you know, your reusable bags, you know, you mm-hmm. uh, those, so those big new world bags. I've actually filled, gone to the local um, veggie shop and I filled that with apples and it takes Maggie and Tilly about 30 seconds to eat the whole lot. Maggie, Maggie can eat, I can put a whole packet of biscuits in her mouth at once. Now, I don't, I'm not going to say how I do that because it's very, very difficult to hold a whole lot of biscuits in a thing, but if she tips her head the right way, I can actually put the whole packet in her mouth and she... Uh, but I try not to do that because the whole pleasure is over in a second. So I try and just dish them out one by one. And then they've got the pleasure of actually tasting them all rather than, but you know, cow, cow, cows are big creatures and they've got big mouths and they can eat copious quantities of food. Um, but it's, it's nice to see them excited. Um, even if they're, if they're in a, we've got some big blocks on this farm, like seven hectare blocks and, even if they're way in the furthest corner of the block and I turn up at the gate and I have packets of biscuits, I just hold them up and rattle them. It's, it's just nice to know that they're not going to go off on a truck. They're just going to be able to live out their full lives and they're really enjoying their lives. And, you know, people, people have this concept of cows as numburgers, you know, oh, they just stand around chewing grass. There's nothing much going on up here, but they're not looking properly. They're not, standing and observing and seeing what cows do. And I often compare, well, I've been watching the Yunnan elephants, you know, uh, making their way across China. And cows are exactly the same as elephants. The only difference is they don't have trunks, but they behave in exactly the same way. They're very, very similar creatures socially, and they behave in the same way. And I watch Maggie and Tilly do all kinds of things. I watch empathy. I watch them... Uh, look after injured calves. Now, we do get a few injuries because um, you've got a mob. We don't run a male um, bovines here. It's all female. Uh, male bovines are a whole other level of hard work. Uh, they're bulls, you know, they're big, tough bulls, and they smash and bash and crash. And uh, this farm, I'm, I'm still bringing this farm up to date uh, infrastructure-wise, so it's not capable of handling bulls, but it can handle cows just fine. They're much gentler creature. But, of course, you've got a mob of cows. They all tend to cycle at the same time. And when they're cycling, they start riding each other, simulating sex. And uh, and often while they're doing that, they'll fall off. They're riding the back of their mate, and they'll fall off, and they might injure their leg, and they'll be limping for a few days. So Maggie and Tilly will take those little limping calves under their wing, and and they as the, as the mob are moving around paddocks, they all graze in a mob, and they move. They walk kilometres a day. They'll, they'll walk back and they'll, the, the little one who's fallen behind, they'll push it back into the mob, keep it safe from lions and wolves and things like that. And uh, the more time I spend with cows, the more impressed I become. You know, I'm just impressed with their, with their intelligence and uh, their, their, their empathy and their, um, you know, they're not so different to human beings, not as different as we imagine they might be. Thanks to Andrew Johnstone and his pet cows for being the subjects of this episode of WTS Waikato. If you liked what you heard, you can like the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, stay safe and be kind. 
Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.